Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, in La Belle Provence, thousands of frontline workers are mad as hell, and they're not going to take it anymore regarding mandatory vaccine mandates. They recently took to the streets to vent their ire. And get this, it looks as though the provincial government is playing defense as it has extended the vaccine deadline by an additional month. Alexa Lavoie has all the details. Bake My Day is a wonderful bakery slash restaurant located in Beaumont, Alberta. So why is Alberta Health Services apparently trying to put this delightful bakery out of business? Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the skinny. And letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day, and you had plenty to say regarding my interview with Dr. Charles McVitie, the president of Canada Christian College, pertaining to the relationship between a big pharma lobbyist and Ontario Premier Doug Ford, a relationship Dr. McVitie alleges is a blatant conflict of interest. Those are your Rebels, now let's round them up. Puis nous, on est ici surtout en soutien aux employés du personnel de la santé. Nous, on est quand même, on a une certaine proximité avec eux. Puis on anticipe l'avenir là, pour pouvoir conserver là, nos droits et libertés et nos choix. On a tout gardé notre emploi, puis on travaille pour la population. Donc, c'est ça. Et une mois, ça ne change absolument rien dans notre vie. Et le gouvernement essaie de prendre la revanche. Mais pour défendre nos droits et nos libertés, ça ne change absolument rien, cette mois. 
on va continuer. It's uh, around 1 p.m. We are at Terrasse du Frein uh, in the Haut Quebec, and as you can see, like thousands of frontline workers are there to protest against the mandatory vaccine that was supposed to be in on the 15th of October. But Christian Dubé decided to postpone for the 15th of November. I don't know what will change, but it's a fact. This protest will have a march until like the Abraham Field, so we'll follow it. Wow, what visuals. And to paraphrase Peter Finch in the 1976 movie Network, many Quebec frontline workers are mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And get a load of this, folks. It seems that the Quebec government is now playing defense. October 15th was supposed to be the deadline for unvaccinated frontline workers in Quebec, i.e. take the jabs or lose your jobs. But since that would mean that several thousand workers would be fired that day, which would undoubtedly result in frontline chaos, the deadline has now been extended to November 15th. But given that nothing has changed in the meantime, one must wonder when the Legault government will extend the deadline yet again to December 15th. Or how about January 15th, 2022? Um, would you believe Valentine's Day? And joining me now with more on this story is our Quebec-based reporter, Alexa Lavoie. Bonjour, Alexa. Bonjour. So, Alexa, great video showing so many passionate frontline workers. As I mentioned, the government has already extended the jabs for jobs deadline by a month. But I don't think any of these people will be changing their minds come November 15th. So how do you think this is going to play out in the weeks ahead? So Christian Dubé is our health minister, is the, is the one who took the decision about it. It's, it's actually him who take the decision. So he got the support from Francois Legault. Uh, but uh, he say we will postpone the date to the 15th of November, but we are not sure when it will be the 15th of November, what will be the case if they will like uh, obligate, like mandatory it, do we will postpone it or just cancel it they are not sure yet because they don't know what will be the situation in a month so imagine now we have 27,000 health worker that is not fully vaccinated so it's 27,000 
people who are stressed and don't know what will happen on the 15th of November. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the thing, Alexa, um, the 15th of November, that's barely three weeks away. Um, I don't see any of those people, given their passion in that protest, changing their mind, doing a 180, saying, yeah, you're right, uh, you convinced me, I'm going to get vaxxed. So given that the number is so huge, 27,000, well, let's put it this way, if, if the government of Quebec was serious about this threat, and on November 15th said to those 27,000 people, you're fired or you're suspended without pay, however you want to call it, what would that do to the um, frontline situation in Quebec? So the, the thing is, um, in Quebec right now, they are trying to get like people from other countries, like Colombia, or to come to work as a health worker right now. Um, the thing is, I don't. They, they they don't have staff anywhere in the like in the around the world right now. So I don't know how they will be able to do it. And uh, right now, um, they are telling that people who have I don't know if you know about it, but the health worker, like nurse, they will lose their license too. Huh? When they will get fired, they will lose their license to practice. And because they refuse to take the, the, the vaccine, they will not touch the prime. Like um, they, they offer like money for the, the nurse to come back to work and to, um, to keep uh, the overtime obligatory, like uh, overtime working. Mm. So um, right now they say, oh, but you didn't take it, the vaccine, so you cannot touch this uh, prime. You know, Alexa, I really don't understand what's going on here. If we go back several months ago, before there was such a thing as a COVID-19 vaccine, these frontline workers, uh, these nurses and other healthcare workers, they were championed. They were the healthcare heroes. Remember that? Yes. And now that there is a vaccine, well, the situation is no different in the hospital. They're being uh, demanded to take it or else you're not a hero, you're a zero. Um, I just can't get my mind around this. If we're allegedly still in this pandemic, don't we need as many experienced healthcare workers as possible? This would be the worst time, I would argue, to start firing them. Yeah, and actually, um, so they prefer to fire really good staff yeah. and to hire um, novice people so you prefer like what? Like people who doesn't know how to do their job for take care of of us to keep like a really good staff who have already have three PCR tests a week. And most of them didn't got the COVID or if they did, they are naturally natural immunity. So I, I just don't get it. Now the PCR test is not in the equation anymore. It's only vax or it's nothing. It's really drastic, just like. So Alexa, what do you think is really going on here since the science doesn't make sense? Is this all about tyranny on the behalf of the Legault government? They kind of like, you know, the kind of totalitarianism they've enjoyed for the last year and a half, and now they're doubling down on it, making demands that, quite frankly, I think are going to make Quebec 
a worse place to live in if they fire all these 27,000 workers. So actually, Lego, um, since uh, it started to to be like, a, you call it a premier, we call it prime minister here. Um, it just, I think he just loved the power that he got from the mm. health emergency. And now he promised all the time um, to, to people, but he's always lie. And people still believe that he's doing that for good, but he's not. And, and if our health system collapse, I'm not giving like much from, from us because we are, our reputation for our health system is supposed to be one of the best in North America and in and, and, and America actually. And now it would be like the worst and everybody will like see their uh, surgery postponed, yes. all the treatment postponed. A lot of people will die because they are not the treatment. So I don't, I don't know what's going on here. It's so terrible, and we have seen during this pandemic people right across Canada on elective surgery lists who have died, who are otherwise fairly young, fairly healthy, but needed elective surgery, and they died because their operation was uh, postponed, which is just horrible. One last question, Alexa. Uh, if I ask you to look into your crystal ball, we go to November 15th. None of these people, or hardly any of them, changed their mind. Uh, as I speculated in my introduction, do you think the government's going to go, okay, you've got till December 15th, January 15th, you name it, or uh, is this a hard line in the sand? Is the government going to back up its threats with mass terminations? I think, I think it's mostly a threat. They think that uh, because of this threat, people will be scared, they will, people will go and get the shot. I think it's mostly that because we saw it like since the beginning of the vaccination. So it's always threat. We threat you and I make you like live in the fear, like mostly it's economic fear. So people will like say, okay, I have no choice. I have a life, I have a house, I have a children. I will take it. So it's what they want. So I think it's mostly a threat because they cannot. The system cannot support to fire as much people as that. Yeah, no, uh, and we will see come November 15th. I know you'll follow up on this. And it, you know what, Alexa, let's be honest. It's a horrible threat. It's a terrible threat. Uh, if I was a nurse, if I was another frontline uh, healthcare worker, um, yeah, maybe I want to stand by my principles regarding vaccination status, but at the same time, I got to put food on the table. I have a mortgage to pay, and this is an economic death sentence. Um, I guess we'll see on November 15th if this is uh, all bark and no bite or if Premier Legault would actually go through with such an egregious action. It was a great video, my friend. Thank you so much, and Thank I you. look forward to the update next month. Thank you. You got it. And that was Alexa Lavoie in Quebec City. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. If you're going to collect information from customers, you should talk to a lawyer before you do so. And I'm thinking, why do you have to talk to a lawyer if, if all of this stuff that they're saying to do is completely normal and you're okay to ask it? It just doesn't make any sense to me. None of it makes any sense. So, Jen, you also do something else um, in your store here, and that is support local businesses. Yeah. So when you are closed, 
to customers, the other local businesses are hurting too. Yeah, um, actually the lady who, um, she's called Can Candidly Handcrafted, she makes the scarves, uh, sorry, the toques. Um, she actually had a load of toques ready to go because she does markets. Well, the market was canceled. And I saw that and I was just like, you know what, like if I can help her out, I will. So, and she does wholesale, wholesale. So I grabbed a bunch and put them on my shelf. They're selling great and they're so warm and comfy. But yeah, if I can help another business, like we're all suffering right now, all of us. So just seems right. <laughs> you were also telling me that Alberta Health Services showed up on Truth and Reconciliation Day. You're Indigenous, you had Indigenous dancers outside and Alberta Health Services came to disrupt, I guess, everything. Yeah, because we were busy and we had, you know, people were coming in um, for mostly the bannock and the soup because I actually had um, a woman uh, who is also Indigenous, she she came in here and made bannock all day and soup. Um, and so, yeah, I posted that we were doing this, that everyone should come and, you know, support these people and, and learn. And, yeah, um, AHS showed up with two men. Um, literally two minutes before the dancers were supposed to start, I was busy getting everything ready, and I just said, you're not welcome here right now. I was like, it is National Truth and Reconciliation Day, and they refused to acknowledge it. And when he, they came in again a few days ago, I don't know, I don't even remember what day that was, but I said, what day did you come in on? And he said, September 30th. I said, what day was that? And he said, September 30th. I said, it was National, uh, it was Truth and Reconciliation Day, and he refused to acknowledge it. And it made me so angry. And I've had a couple people reach out and say, oh, well, you're just using Indigenous people. No, I am not. Everybody should acknowledge that day. Everybody should learn from it. And I actually, like people were thinking that I was profiting off of this and I didn't. Any money that I brought in that day went right back out to the dancers, to the caterer that came in to bake and I donated the rest to the um, Wenjack and Chani, Chani Wenjack fund. So I didn't, I wasn't profiting off of their pain. It's, I just think it's awful. So anyways, yeah, that's when they came, they came in. It was September 30th, so. It, Jen, if you had a message for other business owners who are sort of in your same position where you want to be open, you want to serve your customers, you want to serve your customers good food, but you don't want to pry into their personal lives or their medical history. What's your message for them? Uh, at the end of the day, I think you just need to do what you feel is right. Like, as soon as they decided, oh, you need to segregate people, like, I just, everything in me was like, this is not right. And um, I do have um, one thing that I am doing that uh, AHS probably shouldn't know, so I don't know if you want to put this part on, but um, when customers come in, we ask them now if they have brought in their passport and we let them know that they have the right to deny. They don't have to show us. That is their right. And the only thing that will happen is if I call the cops or whoever to come and remove them from my business, that's where it's a problem. But I'm not going to call the cops on a customer who's sitting down and eating lunch. So technically I am doing what they've asked me to do. I'm asking for passports. Well, can you believe it, folks? A bakery cafe should be a delightful place to visit, be it picking up a cake for a special occasion or just killing time at a table with a cup of joe and some delicious pastries. Yet, as you just heard, Jen Foster, the owner-operator of Bake My Day in Beaumont, Alberta, lives in terror due to another potential visit from Alberta Health Services belligerent bureaucrats who are demanding that Jen complies to the new normal of medical-based apartheid. What a disgrace.
And joining me now for more on this egregious story is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing there, Sheila? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on the show. It is always a pleasure. But Sheila, there is something about seeing an entrepreneur being harassed out of business, potentially, by a provincial dictatorship that that really makes my blood boil. Look, we know that restaurants and bakeries are not super spreader venues for COVID. So how's this for a concept? If someone wants to eat at Bake My Day, so be it. If someone wants to cower in fear in their basement, hey, whatever floats your boat. Why is it that Alberta Health Services thinks that it's a better strategy to coerce and harass people like Jen right out of business, maybe, given the lack of scientific evidence? Well, and when you go into Jen's little restaurant there, everything is like six or more feet apart. She's gone out of her way to follow the rules. She just said that this is a rule that she just can't morally follow. Mm -hmm. And for her, it really is a moral stance because, as she points out, the majority, I mean, she's a bakery. She's got a little couple, three, four little tables where you could sit down if you wanted to. But most of what she does is takeout. But for her, it's... She just can't invade the privacy of those few people who just want to come and sit down and get out of the house after 20 months of never-ending lockdowns. She could easily just say, okay, well, I'm moving to 100% takeout, push the tables across the room, put them up against the wall, and it really wouldn't hurt her bottom line. For her, this is a moral stance. And for that, she's paying dearly because she's being constantly harassed by Alberta Health Services. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that it wouldn't hurt her bottom line. Sheila, you know, the business she's in, food service, uh, as I've said before in another life, I, I covered it for several years. I can tell you it has to be one of, if not the hardest business to make a living in. It's typically razor thin profit margins. 80% uh, of new startups fail in the first three years. That's astonishing. Um, the last thing someone like Jen needs is some health bureaucrat to come in and put on these repercussions to hurt her business, especially again, what's the crime? What, what, what is the catalyst here? for a super spreader event. Yeah, how many people are getting COVID in a bakery? You know, like what I I'd like to see those numbers. Now on the flip side, it seems as though business is better than ever because people want to support these small businesses who are standing up um, to the big behemoth of government trying to crush them. Uh, she, uh, at least last time I talked to her, she's looking at another location, moving to a bigger spot um, because business has been so good. Now, is that going to still be the case if the government pulls her permits and and basically forces her to close, pulls her food handling permits? Who knows? I mean, we've seen the government use all kinds of different uh, bureaucracies to come and crush these small business owners. They put pressure on the landlords. They Jen doesn't have a liquor license, but for some of the other businesses that stand up, they pull their liquor licenses. Um, they use every means necessary to bring these restaurants into compliance when that shows me it's really not about COVID and it's not about health and it's not about a communicable disease. It's about government making these businesses bow before them.
No, you're quite right. It is about tyranny, and I don't use that word flippantly, Sheila. We've been told since day one of this pandemic we're all in this together, yet it seems that the casualties are those in the private sector, whereas in the public sector, uh, they've not missed a day's worth of pay, a day's vacation. In fact, some of them gave themselves hefty raises. That's what really infuriates me about this. I wonder if one of those Alberta Health Services bureaucrats was actually uh, getting up at the crack of dawn to run a bakery and try to make a viable business, if they might have a little more empathy for people like Jen that don't need this harassment. You know, and these complaints are coming from uh, health inspectors themselves who are out of uniform, not identifying themselves. I saw a story today, um, the Cow Lake General Store in Cow Lake, Alberta. Imagine how big that place is. I go quadding down there, so I know the place really well. Um, but it's literally in the middle of nowhere. You run out of cell service there. And a health inspector came to the restaurant there and didn't identify themselves came in, sat down, ate, so they weren't obviously threatened by the situation there because they ate. They weren't vax carded, and so after they left, they lodged a complaint, and now the health permits have been pulled on that place in literally in the middle of nowhere. You have to go out of your way to harass them. You really do. But that's the kind of sinister stuff that's happening here. When a health inspector sits down and eats a meal, without being vax carded, that tells me that they don't care about the vax card. They only care about enforcing rules that don't make sense. And, you know, that's the other part of this story, Sheila, I think. It's the pettiness. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a role for health service bureaucrats. I mean, if, if there was a restaurant with a filthy washroom, if customers observed the, the kitchen staff not washing their hands before preparing dishes, you don't want that. You know, th th that could be a real and present danger in terms of getting food poisoning or what have you. But this idea of, you know, not reinventing yourself as the restaurateur, as the baker, as the unofficial agent of the state in terms of your papers, please. They don't have to be, uh, you know, going after people like Jen for that. And again, it, it's outright pettiness. You know, for a lot of these restaurateurs, they're being put in the same position that a lot of other people in the private sector are, where it's, you know, where people are finding out, well, my job has this vaccine mandate. Now I'm sort of forced to get the jab. Otherwise, I'll lose my job. And for restaurateurs, they're on the flip side of that. They can't reopen the way they need to so that they can pay their bills unless they start enforcing something they fundamentally disagree with. The irony here is that for a lot of people, they are not going... It's me in particular. I mean, I'm not going to go to a place that forces the vaccine passport mandate on its customers. I just don't want to participate in the segregation. I understand why some of the businesses are doing it. They're going to lose their shirts if they don't. But that's the problem here. These businesses are being put in a position just like the employees that need to get the vaccine to keep their job. They need to act fundamentally opposed to their own consciences just to keep the lights on and keep a roof over their head and keep their employees employed. And I think it's a terrible moral dilemma and an unnecessary one that the government is putting on everybody because oh, I don't I, think the science supports any of it. I totally agree, Sheila. Exit question then. In the weeks and months ahead, what is going to be the ultimate ending for Bake My Day? 
Um, I think that ultimately the machinery of the state is going to move to close her. Now, and I think based on just the history of what has happened and has unfolded before us other times that restaurants tried to stand up, the pressure is going to be put on the landlord to terminate her lease. I think that they are going to uh, lean on the municipality to pull her business license. And that's what she's going to get for trying to protect the privacy of her customers and refusing to participate in a system of segregation. So it's going to be another Adamson barbecue uh, I think so. Unbelievable. I'm getting so infuriated over these stories, Sheila. I, I can't tell you. But, Sheila, great report. I hope it turns out differently. And I know you'll have an update if anything new happens on that story. So thank you so much. And you have a good weekend, my friend. Thank you. And I just want to let everybody at home know if you'd like to help us fight these vaccine passport mandates, please go to fightvaccinepassports.com. It's your one stop for for, um, you know, fighting against medical segregation. It's fightvaccinepassports.com. We're taking 20 strategic legal cases all across the country. If you think you are one, submit your information there. And if you'd like to help fund our legal battle, because it is going to be enormously expensive and the government has got all the money in the world. They've got your money. Um, Please donate there. It's fightvaccinepassports.com. And none of the money comes to us. goes directly to the registered Canadian charity, the Democracy Fund. Great. Thank you so much again, my friend. Thanks, David. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. What was the ostensible policy reason of having uh, this press conference today? Well, uh, the problem in our government is that uh, you have the campaign chairman of the party in the caucus on a regular basis uh, participating in the decision makings of the government while he owns a company that he founded. He's the CEO, and yes, he's taken a leave of absence. But he's still listed as the CEO on the on the website of Rubicon Strategies Inc. And they get paid massive amounts of money by pharmaceuticals like Pfizer and AstraZeneca and, and then other corporations like like Amazon. So we're asking for transparency and we're all asking for separation because right now there are so many PCs involved in Rubicon. You can't tell where where Rubicon stops and the PCs start because they're intertwined and and it's wrong. It's funny. I mean, this supermajority is quickly not becoming that uh, through self-inflicted wounds. We've seen uh, what's happened to Rick Nichols, Randy Hillier, Belinda Carahalios, Roman Baber. I'm sure I've missed a few names. You missed a few. It it continues and... uh, uh, but Rubicon's there, wow. tight-fisted, all together, and no one can break it but the truth. And uh, one person telling the truth is stronger than a thousand people telling lies. Pfizer has made over thirty-three billion dollars. This is you've you've seen the premier in New South Wales step down for 
for huge bribes and huge money flowing to lobbyists. So we know that they do this around the world. We know that they're paying Rubicon huge money. And then Rubicon's founder and CEO is not just has the year of the premier, he's in the caucus. And he as the campaign manager, and you've been around uh, uh, politics long enough to know that the campaign manager is king. Because he's saying, do as I say or you won't get reelected. And all of a sudden, things change. Doug Ford is there. He was voted in by the people. And he got a supermajority. He doesn't have to be beholden to big money, to influential lobbyists. What is, why is there this connection between uh, Corey Tonight and Doug Ford? I mean, I don't know. It, all I know is it's wrong. But the connection's like this, and Doug doesn't seem to be able to break it. Well, that was the scene earlier this month at Queen's Park in which Charles McVitie, the president of Canada Christian College in Whitby, Ontario, held a press conference decrying what he deems to be a conflict of interest. Namely, Corey Tonight was the 2018 Ontario PC campaign manager and is the current head honcho at Rubicon Strategy. And McVitie believes he has a huge influence over Premier Doug Ford when it comes to important decisions. And certainly the optics do not look good. Indeed, remember back in July when Ford said he was dead set against vaccine passports only to do a complete 180 the following month? Was that because Mr. Tonight lobbies on the behalf of big pharma clients, companies that would surely profit from mandatory Vax passports. Now, full disclosure, Corey Tonight hired me and then fired me and then hired, rehired me a decade ago at the now defunct Sun News Network, which was still on the air back then. I'll be forever grateful for that. Well, at least the hiring parts. But like the umpire behind home plate, folks, we calls them as we sees them here at Rebel News. And certainly the optics of Corey having the ear of Premier Ford, well, they don't look too good. In any event, you had plenty to say about this relationship between a premier and a lobbyist that would appear to be a blatant conflict of interest. One angry Canadian writes, when big pharma and politicians are involved, all you ever have to do is follow the money. Oh, you're right, one angry Canadian. And it's big money indeed, as well when governments are essentially forcing citizens to get jabbed. You know, that means there will be some people, such as the people connected to Big Pharma, who are undoubtedly going to get very rich along the way. Polish Prince writes, quote, in times of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act, end quote, George Orwell. That's a great quote, all right, given the times in which we live. But where is the proverbial media snowball when it comes to blowing the lid off this story? Well, it's not happening, but why? Uh, gee, could it be that so many mainstream media outlets are A, funded by the government, and B, are being enriched from advertising via pharmaceutical companies? <laughs> I wonder.
Al Milhouse writes, keep up the real reporting, Rebel News, one of the only ones telling the truth. Well, thanks very much for that, Al. I truly think this story should be on the front page, quite frankly. But as I mentioned, the MSM is sitting this one out. Oh, and get this, we were actually barred from taking in Dr. McVitie's press conference live even though we had been invited into the legislature by MPP Rick Nichols. Alas, Colin the Rat DeMello of CTV threw a hissy fit and then got us frog marched out of the building by the security. Apparently, only government-funded media types are allowed inside the Queen's Park Press Studio. And do you think they gave Dr. McVitie a fair shake? Not a chance. So the censorship crusade continues and some of the censorious thugs happen to be the journalists themselves. What a joke. And Maria R. Barnier writes, conflict of interests are everywhere. Even Doug Ford profits with his company. Well, I can't argue that point, Maria. I reckon business is great these days at Ford's Deco Labels company, which I don't think has shut down for a single day during the pandemic. In fact, given all the signage retailers now need to post regarding COVID, I'm going to guess that business has never been better down at Deco. By the way, I did reach out to Corey tonight to get his side of the story, of course. He didn't get back to me, but he did reach out to another Rebel News employee, which strikes me as kind of weird, really. But here's what Corey had to say. He didn't lobby for vaccine passport mandates. Secondly, the purchaser of the vaccines is the federal government, not provincial governments. Third, his firm, Rubicon, lobbied for vaccines, not Corey himself. Fourth, Pfizer was never a client, but rather the vaccine industry group was. And finally, five, Corey works for the Progressive Conservative Party, not the government, and his comments to MPPs were made in that capacity. I will leave it to you, dear viewer, if those rebuttals do indeed pass your sniff test. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.